0: I am David Tamez, and this is Lawrence Talks, a community podcast dedicated to introducing traditional philosophical topics and to exploring the ethical issues that arise from local events. On this episode, I speak with Malek Ben Ayed, a, a KU college student, Ruby Love, Young, a young adult Lawrence uh, local and artist, and Ellie Gibson, a freshman at Lawrence High School. We discuss the work that they, that they do with uh, the local chapter of Sunrise Movement and what they think environmental justice means. Our podcast is produced thanks in part to our partners at the Hall Center for the Humanities, IDRH, KU Philosophy Department, and the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencestocks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Tamez, and this is Lawrence Talks. Our podcast concerns itself with introducing philosophical and humanist topics in an accessible way to our community and also is concerned with exploring matters of justice and ethics relevant to Lawrence. On this episode, we focus on the second part of our mission as we are joined by representatives of the LFK chapter of the Sunrise Movement, an organization that advocates uh, for environmental justice. I am joined by uh, Malik Ben-Ayed, KU student majoring in mechanical engineering. Ruby Rose, a local artist who is also involved and in, associated with the Lawrence Public Library's information services. And Ellie Gibson, a uh, freshman and student to be sophomore at Lawrence High School. Thank you all for joining me. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Okay, first, beyond, beyond the introduction I just gave of, of you all, Tell us a little bit about yourselves uh, and how you came to be involved with the Sunrise Movement. Well, as you
2: said, my name is Malik. I'm a sophomore in mechanical engineering. I've always been passionate, I'll start with this I've always been passionate about social justice and climate action itself, but the two together, coming together, never really came together in my mind. Like, they were each their own fight. In September, there was a climate strike that the Sunrise was, was holding, and this was September 2019, and I went to that, and I really felt at home. I really felt like this, these were the two issues that I care about the most, and they were being acknowledged in a sort of intersectional type of way of recognizing that, yes, we need to take action on climate change but also social justice must be, must come with it. And like climate justice was really a term that I never imagined would come together, but uh, Sunrise did a great job of uh, bringing everyone to the table and recognizing those who have not had a voice to talk. So that's how I came to be involved with Sunrise.
1: This is Ruby. I first heard about Sunrise um, in 2018, when activists occupied uh, Pelosi's office and AOC joined them and I was following her very closely and it was the first time that I felt like somebody was making a difference in in climate activism and it wasn't this kind of same old, uh, you know, buy an electric car and we'll solve this. And I kind of dipped in and out of climate despair for a year and finally decided to just start going to community meetings around sustainability because I didn't know what else to do and I saw two women in sunrise shirts and I ran over to them and gave them my email and that was Sam and Kate who started the local hub and you know it was just the three of us like how do we do a climate strike we don't know (laughs) so that was kind of our start and
3: uh, it's just grown from there and Ellie um Well, my mom is Sam, so i i mean she kind of she was the person who originally got me involved in the first place, but it grew on me really quickly because it's just kind of it's nice to get involved with an organization that is trying to like help younger people get their voices out and um just get teenagers involved and climate change and climate action, climate justice, and it's just really nice. Okay, and so
0: let's start with the movement itself. What, it, what is uh, what is the Sunrise Movement? And you may also talk about what it's not, because uh, it, there's plenty of, I guess, misconceptions about what the movement is and what it is concerned with. So feel free to also address the, the misconceptions about the organization.
2: So Sunrise, uh, from how we describe ourselves, I'll start with that, is, is we are a youth-led climate action movement. So climate justice movement. So we are, we really focus on being led by the youth. And um, we feel like that that is something that has been left out from many, uh, from different decades that the youth have not really been heard. And that's something that Sunrise really focuses on. And we also focus, as I mentioned before, uh, like social justice itself. Our main initiative is to push for a Green New Deal in the federal in the federal level and we'll discuss I think we'll, we'll talk more about the green New Deal later but it is it is it's a bunch of uh, it's a lot of young people across the country um, who are advocating for a green New deal and for social justice and uh, a more livable future um, what it is not is from an national conversations that we've seen a few weeks ago it is not a super PAC. Um, It is a just, it's just an organization trying to help and advocate for climate justice.
1: I think too, there's, there's the misconception a lot that youth activists are being used by adults or being, um, you know, lied to, I guess, uh, by people that don't think climate change is real. They assume children are being lied to. And I think Sunrise gives younger people, like Malik said, it's youth-led. Younger people are able to determine their own structure. And when we're looking forward, I'm 24. I don't know what the world's going to look like when I'm my parents' age. And for people that care about the environment, but they're in their you know 60s and 70s, they have a really different perspective because they're not necessarily looking 40, 50, 60 years out into the future. And so I think having a movement that is youth-led and is addressing environmental justice and environmental racism in this country is a lot different from the kind of individual action-focused groups that also, you know, are doing good work. But I think there needs to be a, a home for
3: people working on the environmental justice aspect.
0: And Ellie, did you want to add anything?
3: I think they pretty much covered it. It's just it's a really nice place for um, getting more younger people involved, and it's uh, it's great to like have a way to be more heard.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, so you all uh, highlight the the fact that it is youth led. Why why is that important? Because you you might have people saying in a very sp- not sinister, but cynical way, asking why uh, any movement led by the youth should be taken seriously. Why is it important that that the youth lead this lead this movement?
2: Um, that's a very good question. Um, I think it's you kind of expect the people who have the most "quote unquote" skin in the game to be the most involved or to be the most worried about it, and uh, mathematically speaking. The youth right now are going to suffer the most out of everyone else for for our, a bad climate or for bad from uh, from a hor- horrible clim- climate change and the consequences that come from it. So because they're mathematically speaking, they're going to live longer. Yet, so that's that's one point that is that always like we keep coming back to that we yes we are the most concerned because we are going to be here the longest. And therefore, we're going to suffer the most consequences. And this is our future is on the line. So uh, that's number one. Number two, about some people might say my critique, Sunrise of why do you, why are you youth led and not just like just led in general? And whoever wants to be in leadership can be in leadership. And I I I think I come back to the to my first point that it is very important that the people who have the most skin in the game lead the way that's you can be an uh, you can to a certain extent you can be an ally of the movement but as we all should be but um the young people have the most skin in the game and therefore should be uh should be leading it
1: i think to uh, kind of like malik said like we have the most skin in the game we stand to inherit this, uh, future of catastrophic climate destruction. And, um, because of that, because of being raised in that environment, we have a different, and I think much more urgent perspective and a lot of our, um, engaging with the community and engaging with older folks, um, particularly our representatives is trying to get them current on, on the science and on the urgency. And that's something that we find that we don't really have to explain to people in their mid twenties and younger. We all understand it. We've grown up in it, but I think a lot of that pressure hasn't reached older folks. And so uh, having a movement led by people who really understand the urgency and they understand what it means for their future keeps us going, keeps us motivated. You know, we're not gonna stop at recycling. We know it's a
3: lot bigger than that. And yeah, to to add on to that, I I agree. As like a a high school student, I mean, especially a, a freshman, uh, I think it's really important that it's youth led because um with all of the problems with climate action and climate justice that have been going on, it's like hard to try and see a good future because it doesn't seem like people are taking it seriously, but, um, it's, it's good to have this, um, this organization and this movement that helps younger people like me who might not, um, see a very good future, find ways to help fix that and show other people that they can fix it and really change something.
2: And to, go back to something else like the first earth day i think it's 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 almost uh sad that the first earth day was 50 years ago like this upcoming earth day and next month uh, april 22nd will be the 50th anniversary of earth day and it was earth day started with the intention to save the planet and so on and so forth so we've been having this same conversation for fifty years, and almost nothing has changed. If anything, we've been getting worse and worse so I think that's also a a, a very important thing to recognize that past climate activists have to a certain extent not done something correct, and that if they have done something right we would uh, we would not be where we are right now so their, their plan has not been working, and it's, that's why a, a new leadership and a new way of looking at it, which is what Sunrise, Sunrise brings to the table of recognizing that we need to speak, be speaking to vulnerable communities, to lower-income uh, communities, to people of color and all of, uh, and marginalized communities, is something really important that is this, fresh, this new way of thinking came forward from the youth. And because I I personally believe that our generation is more, like, more accepting of change, and that's why they, like, it has made the Sunrise Movement so successful.
0: Okay, and you you all mentioned uh, the sort of future that um, awaits us, at least awaits the the youth. Um, What... What sort, of, what sort of future, or what is that future going to look like? What are some of the, the facts that we should be taking into consideration?
2: So, a future with uh, with if we don't take any action, I think that's what you're asking. The future, if there is no action, climate action taken.
0: Yes, yeah, that, and also what the, what are the the current facts? Not necessarily say about the future, but also uh, about our current state um, that we should be taking into consideration, and that you're trying to. Change and change, or, or uh, in some way affect af, uh, for the better.
2: Um, so, for considering like climate change itself and like what's happening, it really is affecting some more than others. Like if we look at, for example, Hurricane Dorian or Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane, all of these hurricanes or the fires, and the wildfires in California, or all of these natural disasters that keep happening over and over again they're not harming every single person the same way. Like, let's say if we take two different people, the person A and person B. Person A has uh, three different houses, makes about 200K a year, versus person B, who barely could pay rent, um, uh, makes about 50K a year, and has to take care of a whole family. And we have, uh, and they live about 20 minutes away from each other. And a natural disaster hits. Let's say it's a hurricane. Person A could easily could afford to go to another house, or could afford to get a plane ticket and fly out of there and work uh, and just avoid the natural disaster. And worse, if worse comes to worse, they lose one of their three properties. Now, if we look at person B, uh, who barely can get by every day, and the natural disaster hits, they have first of all they have nowhere to go. That's the first of all. Second of all, even if they did, most likely than not, they still have to report to their job, their usually minimum wage or so job that they to support themselves and to support their families. So if we look into all these factors, climate change, uh, many people speak of, we speak of the climate change that might harm our future. But really, it's harming our our present right now, it's, except we're not seeing it. Because we're at a point of privilege. And that's something that also really important to recognize, that we're uh, not—climate change is already impacting us and it's already harming us, but not all of us. And it doesn't—and I think something really important that we always address in Sunrise is climate change doesn't affect everyone equally. No, uh, climate climate change really does discriminate between the rich and the poor. Because if you are rich, you can afford to get by. You can afford to hold or to wait— the to wait out the natural disasters for uh, for a few a few weeks a few months and even maybe a few years. But if you if you barely can get by, then that's um, that's a bigger problem and it will hurt you even even more. So um, that's that's something really important that we should that uh, that our generation needs to be talking about. And that's also something that Sunrise does focus on.
1: I think too, it can be difficult in you know a small college town in Kansas to feel the urgency of climate change. But I think just locally, you know, if you think back to last spring where we had really intense flooding and, you know, we're projected to continue seeing that every year, worse and worse, um, you know, how many local farmers had to delay planting their crops or completely abandon fields? Um, you know, people had their basements flooded, uh, People living without housing or without stable housing um you know had camps washed into the river like like Malik said, this affects the rich and the poor very differently. but you know, as we're seeing in this pandemic, we are all very reliant on our food systems and our supply chain and when that's interrupted year after year and farms are going under um you know it gets it gets scary really quickly, and uh one thing I've been thinking about as we're all, you know, socially isolating is we're seeing the way that a massive disruption affects rich and poor differently. And we're seeing how unprepared we are for it. And we can't socially isolate our way out of climate change. You know, it's obviously it's different, but we, we have very brittle systems. And I think that bringing that urgency home to people who aren't experiencing the worst impacts of climate change yet and getting them to act before it's too late um, is one of our big, big challenges as a Midwestern hub, for sure.
0: And I want to point out that so far the conversation has more or less focused on the consequences um, and why we should avoid those sort of consequences, how it's going to affect both poor and the rich the old and the young but is that the only reason why we should be going after environmental justice is that the only reason why we should be going after uh curbing the the sort of effects of our current conception of energy in other words are there other like reasons for about the environment itself that we should be highlighting and wanting to preserve I think
2: um, Sunrise, the Green New Deal that Sunrise pushes forward is a really amazing solution to a problem that we have. But also, as you mentioned, the Green New Deal calls for multiple different things. But to focus on, uh, to highlight some of my favorites, I guess, Medicare for all is a human need and uh, something that many different, many different, mo- most, most of Americans agree with. Something that so even if someone lost their job, for example, like we saw today, like we see what's happening today with the COVID nineteen, many people are losing their jobs, and the relating a job to a healthcare is a very uh, hurt uh, is very hurtful towards the citizens. So that's also something part of uh, the Green New Deal itself, but how that impacts in a big scale of related to climate itself, it really helps people. For example, if someone got their degree, let's say, in uh, something that is related to fossil fuels or whatever that might look like, and they were to, uh, and they their only their insurance was related to uh, their job, then they're able to leave that job and uh, incorporate something else or learn a new uh, job, a new skill or something, which is another part of the Green New Deal of teaching those who need it. Teaching them skills of, uh, for example, like uh, solar solar power or wind energy or whatever that might look like uh, for a more sustainable future. So it really does encompass the Green New Deal. Really does encompass uh, things that you know, help communities of all of all incomes and all uh, on all different backgrounds from different colors and different religions. So it's a really important and it, it's really important to see that uh, this this. Isn't just a solution to our to our problem, but it's also it's almost it's, it it is creating new things that we aren't much that are much needed. So uh, especially after the crisis that we are experiencing right now, I think we're gonna see a higher unemployment and we're gonna see a higher call for uh, new jobs being created. And I uh, and I truly believe that the uh, uh, the Green New Deal will be a solution to the recession that is uh, up, uh, that we see forthcoming right now.
1: I think to uh to jump off of that there's been a kind of long history of uh white led environmental groups focusing on this idea of kind of preserving pristine nature or humans being the problem and I think that's a really eurocentric uh way of looking at our relationship with the environment and I think that the Green New Deal incorporating, um, you know, indigenous leaders and indigenous practices of relating to the land is something that I really like. And something that brought me to sunrise is this idea of, you know, there it's not humans versus nature. And I think there's this idea of, of, you know, we're never going to be able to eat a, a burger again or fly on a plane. Um, and you're taking all these things away from me and, what I love about the Green New Deal is that it's not about less, it's about different and um, more in a lot of cases. And so as we're rethinking all of these systems, we're also pushing for a more equitable society and more access to you know things like high-speed internet or well-insulated affordable housing um, that a lot of people are not able to access currently. And if we can do those things in a way that also reduces our carbon footprint, uh, that's a win-win. And I think um, particularly after our current pandemic is over, whenever that is, um, and, you know, people are desperate for jobs, um, this is a really incredible opportunity to Start a lot of this change and to uh, improve the environment and our society at the same time.
2: To add on to that, I think um, it's really important. We see a lot on social media right now of people saying, oh, look what uh, the absence of humans is doing. We saw the, the waters uh, in Venice come uh, and we become more clear. We saw fish return to uh, certain places that were not, that have been absent, that the fish have been absent to from uh, several years. And stuff like that, and uh, we see a lot of blame uh, in social media coming from um, coming uh, uh, being directed towards humans. And I think that's a, a very dangerous ideology to have. I think, uh, in my opinion, because we, as Ruby mentioned, or uh, that we are we are part of uh, we are part of nature, and we uh, we just need to be careful on how we're acting towards and how we're interacting with that. So it is not. It is not our fault. It's not you, and my, yours and my fault, but instead it is big corporations. Uh, a, a study um, done a few months ago or a few years ago found that I think 97% or the higher 90% of all of uh, carbon emissions ha- are caused by 100 companies in the world. So like considering that and keeping that in mind, we should not feel guilty uh, that the climate the cl- climate change is happening we should be aiming towards it's more of aiming towards action and less of feeling guilty because sometimes a lot of people would shame you for uh, using uh, for example for eating meat or for uh, using uh, straws that are not reusable or uh, using your your a car that is made in the 1990s or whatever that might look like but then they don't recognize that a you know, some people don't have that privilege and are not privileged enough to afford a newer car. to not uh, cannot afford a Tesla. Cannot um, cannot afford to buy non. Do not cannot, cannot afford reusable straws or cannot afford whatever that might look like. So that's a, a really important point to make. That yes, while it might be great that some people are taking action and be trying to. Uh, are taking action and trying to make to lessen their carbon footprint. What matters is, and what Sunrise really focuses on, is getting those big corporations that are uh, tremendously co- contributing to carbon emissions to lower their carbon footprint. So that way, we have a more livable future.
1: I think, kind of going back to where Sunrise uh, Lawrence fits in, we s- we stand out from uh, the other environmental groups in town. On, on the issue of of personal individual action, and um, that is something that you know I think is great. I think it's really important, but we have to. And Malik is great at pulling us back from you know gardening and things and being like, okay, we need to take political action. This is what the Green New Deal is about and individual action is great and and demonstrates to the people in your life that you care about the environment and I'm all for it. But Sunrise is pushing on a policy level um, because, you know, I can recycle all I want. I can not drive my car, but I'm not going to have the same impact as a massive corporation. um, And we need to take action at all levels of government to push this forward. So I think both at the same time but definitely in our work in sunrise focusing on policy over individual action.
2: And I always say this that tomorrow if we all agree by tomorrow morning that every single person on this planet starts using reusable straws and even to a certain extent starts stops eating meat even if we all agree to do that tomorrow morning we're still not going to stop climate change. Like that's, it's sometimes it sounds like a pessimistic view and it sounds like you're telling people that they're matter, whatever they're doing doesn't matter. Whatever they're doing doesn't matter. But really what you're, what I'm telling, what I'm trying to tell people is that what they're doing is good, but it's what matters is changing on the big scale. So And I think a lot of uh, Ruby talked about this in the beginning of the podcast of that lots of climate action has been focused on go buy a Tesla or go buy an electrical car. And as I said before, no one can afford, not many people can afford that. So recognizing that instead of telling people that they need to to go buy Tesla, instead that they need to go vote and vote those who are taking money from fossil fuel out, I think that's a more uh, efficient and more and a better approach than having people who, to a certain extent, cannot afford it, uh, feel bad about themselves for not taking climate action.
0: And so how much of the Green New Deal is about sort of mitigating the disasters that will, the sort of, I guess, consequences or the effects that disasters, natural disasters will have? And how much of it is about uh, trying to prevent making it worse? So I guess what I'm asking here is, is how much of it is about creating services that will respond to the impending disasters or impending effects that natural disasters will have, and how much of it is about curbing our current conception of, of energy?
2: So the Green New Deal, first of all, aims to move the United States to, uh, to renewable energy, uh, to use 100% renewable energy by a certain year. I'm... Uh, Ruby, do you know the exact year? I'm, I'm, I, I forget sometimes.
1: It's coming up fast. 2030 is the, is the push.
2: Yeah, So 2030. It might sound like it's coming up, uh, as Ruby said, it is coming up fast. But so is the, so is the deadline that uh, was given to us by the world scientists that we have 10 more years until uh, we we get into irreversible change that we cannot change anymore. So. With that being said, the Green New Deal—one of its biggest pushes and one of one of I think uh, most ambitious, but also one of the most needed pushes and demands—is that it uh, reaches we, we, the United States reaches two, two, by 2030 we reach renewable energy 100%. So again, that might sound too ambitious, but it's also much needed because there there's almost no other way to do it. So that right there is. I guess you can call a preventive measure so that way we don't so we can avoid so we can avoid uh, what's it called? Uh, sorry, it does natural disasters. Now, how to respond to disasters that are happening right now? Um, I think that's where the uh, other parts of the Green New Deal come in of making uh, calling for Medicare for all so that even if those who are displaced can have access to healthcare can ha- have access to. Uh, can have access to, for example, uh, in the wildfires of California, uh, someone who uh, might be in a lower income, the smoke that comes up from the, those wildfires might hurt their lungs, and they might, be t- they might not afford to go to the doctors. They might not have the luxury to go to get it checked out, and it might, in the long run, cause them uh, s- severe damages to their physical health. So that's another thing. There's also the first bill that was introduced, actually, in Congress as part of the Green New Deal. Which calls for more um, more sustainable housing, more uh, in general, is that's another part of it, or which is preventive measures, I guess. Another part of the Green New Deal is calling for more affordable colleges, which will allow more people to go to college and get educated, and in turn allow more uh, mind, uh, allow more smart minds to be more innovative in the future, and will lead us to having more. Um, easily accessible education, which will cause and which will lead to more diverse uh, thoughts and more solutions to our
0: future problems.
1: I think every step that we take to create a more equitable uh, society in the United States, whether it's uh, you know through high-paying green jobs, Medicare for all, uh, free college for all, um, is is both, uh, an immediate improvement, but also it's, um, an avenue towards mitigation. And so, you know, if we're getting people into affordable housing and that housing is carbon neutral, we're doing two things at the same time. And I think if we're looking at everything through the lens of climate justice and making decisions, um, in that way, we're able to prevent the worst impacts of climate change while improving people's lives immediately. And I think that makes the green new deal, um, a much better sell to people who are struggling to pay their rent now. Um, and who don't have healthcare now, it's hard for people in that situation to think about climate change, you know, like, Right now, we're we're dealing with so much with this pandemic. I keep bringing us back to that, but of course, it's on all of our minds. Um, You know, trying to talk to people about the environment right now uh, is really difficult. But when you frame it in a way of, you know, what if you had protections for your job? What if you had access to health care? What if uh, your energy bills were much lower because you had a well insulated place to live? That's stuff that people need right now and so um again that's why we're pushing for the green new deal is it's doing both of those things simultaneously and so we're not kind of piecing them together or worrying about one before the other but we're finding ways to combine them
0: one one question i have uh, and i want to bring ellie in, in on this question is the education part of it I'm a few years removed from uh, my high school days. So I'm wondering if contemporary what, contemporarily, uh, if there have been any changes or if there have been any initiatives at at the high school level at least in informing the students about climate change and the sort of uh, effects it it might have.
3: Well, I mean, I only had like a semester and a half of my science class for this year. But um, it wasn't really talked about as like a class subject, but I, thankfully, I have a, a teacher who herself is really interested in climate change. And like, um, she took us up to Wealth Day at the Capitol and it was really excited that she had students interested in it. But I don't, I don't really know if it's been put into like people's curriculums because I haven't, I personally have not seen it. But I know there are um I know there is like environmental classes at both high schools and also AP environmental classes. So they do talk about climate change at least in those courses, but I don't know if it's just a generally taught about subject in other levels.
0: Do you think it is it's important that it is treated as a sort of subject in, in the classroom?
3: I I do, yeah, because I feel like um I feel like a lot. I mean, I know some of my friends usually uh, they know about things with climate change going on, but uh, a lot of other kids I've talked to at my school before, or just in the past, they haven't known about anything regarding it or what might happen because of not taking climate action. Uh, Like uh, when I was in middle school, one time I just like brought up something in class about there being. I might have been, like, 11 or 12 years at the time until uh, it was irreversible. And I remember one kid in my class was just like, what? I have not heard anything about that. And it shocked me because I know. I just, I hear about it. But, yeah, people my age don't seem to be super, not involved, but they just, they don't know everything going on. They don't know a lot of stuff. And I think they should know because again, we are the people who are going to be most affected and we're the only people who can really take, um, like su- sustainable action against this.
0: And part of the worry, I'm not sure how aware, uh, you all have, of, of this, but there is some, I guess the, the mainstream worry, at least that's been, uh, voiced, over social media and, and other, other media platforms of teaching uh, high school students in, and middle school students about, I guess, environmental justice and climate change is a worry about their mental health, that they might be in some way caused to stress about a situation. And so how... how how valid is that, is that worry, uh, Ellie, in your, in your mind about uh, teaching kids your age um, about climate change?
3: I mean, I think it, it makes sense because, I mean, yeah, when you, you think about it for a little bit, it is, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around, like, okay, I guess, like, my future's at stake. And it's just a crazy thing to think about that it's been, like, going on for so long and things aren't changing even though they really should be, but, um, you know, I think if like, if someone had like a a problem with it and they were like upset because of it, I mean, that that should lead them to like talk about it more and then hopefully be like able to take more action against it. I just, I think it's really important for people my age to learn about it even if they're not gonna do anything about it just for them to know and to like understand what's going on in the world is really important because we have so much like news coming at us all the time at least for me I know it's been like there's so much overwhelming amount of news just my entire life and like it's hard to all grasp it's hard to grasp onto all of it so if it was like taught in a school it'd be less like oh I saw this thing in the news it'd be like I actually learned this in like the space that I go to every day in the space where I get taught everything so I feel like it would just stick with people more and make them be able to think about it to like like in a better way it's hard it's a hard thing to really think about
0: Oh, and I think, as you mentioned, uh, one benefit of have it be, have it being taught and uh, having it being taught in in uh, high school or middle school is there seems to be greater control in how it's taught and how it, that information is shared. Whereas, on as you mentioned, in on the news, sometimes it can be a, a bit given in a very controversial and heightened uh, heightened way. So, at least maybe at the school level, there might be some greater control about. About how the information is shared.
3: Yeah, I think if people in like school systems, if they just shared like the straight facts, like the actual scientists have given, like they do with other types of scientific fields, like biology and chemistry, then it would be fine to learn about. It's just people who, like with the news and things, people who dramatize it or like, if it were to be taught, it would probably be better if, like, people just made sure that they kept their own opinions out of it, and they just laid out the facts that scientists have given, and exactly what is happening, and tried to, like, stay out of giving their own opinions, because that, I do understand from what people have said, it would probably lead to, like, a fight between a student's opinion, and the teacher's opinion, or a parent's opinion, and what they've told their kids, but I mean, it's still, it's a really important thing that needs to be like taught about, but it is hard to know if something is going to cause a lot of problems within like a school.
1: I wanted to shout out, uh, Madeline Herrera, who's a local teacher. Um, and she spoke at our rally in December, um, and she teaches elementary school, um, and her, she teaches her students about climate change and she talked about, you know, the the difficulty of teaching children about the future and, and the science of climate change is, is very big and very scary. Um, but they're going to know about it eventually. And I think it's much worse kind of like Ellie said, uh, to get little snippets of it, um, without context, without, that grounding in science or being in the classroom where you have that support system. Um, so when you have someone, you know, trusted and, and just giving you the facts like a teacher, um, I think it becomes a lot easier to understand the problem and to feel, uh, empowered to take action as opposed to getting glimpses of really scary information and, and not being sure, uh, what to do with that. And just, just for an example with, with her most recent class, um, they were learning about the wildfires in Australia and the class decided to, uh, do a little trivia thing at the cider gallery, um, to raise money and they raised thousands of dollars. And that I know for my own mental health, knowing about something and, and being able to do something about it, um, is really helpful in kind of processing this information, and so I think having teachers that are willing to educate their students about climate change, but also give them avenues uh, like like bringing them to the Capitol, bringing them to Wealth Day, um, is a really important follow up. I think for any type of learning, but especially for a subject that is as big and and can be really scary, like climate change. So uh,
0: and to change topic slightly you're definitely going to see some disagreement with maybe folks older than you and in, in, in different in different age group have you have you come into contact with other uh, folks in your age group that don't necessarily buy into what you're doing and and uh, what the sunrise movement is about and what have you done or what have you tried to uh, tell them to at least justify your own involvement and suggest that they should also be involved the first of the matter is
2: we i have encountered i think two people my age that refuse climate change is real mm-hmm. and really you get to a point where you got to choose your battles if someone is educated and still refuses to recognize that climate change is real then there's almost no point in talking to them it it really sometimes saddens me to show them all the all the all the information all the uh, all the proofs all the uh, uh, all the articles from nasa from uh, literally any almost every single credible every single not almost every single credible scientific journal can be traced back into that they believe that climate change is real so if the first thing is recognizing that some people will not change their minds and they just won't so choosing your battles is really important and i have learned that whether it is someone my age or whether it's someone uh, older if you if in 20 minutes they're still refusing 100 percent to believe that climate change is real then there's almost a 99 percent chance there even if you talk to them for 24 more hours there's Still not going to be convinced. So that's the number one thing. Um, number two, which is more common, is seeing some resistance or uh, some some resistance to the Green New Deal, and that can be a factor into many, that can factor into different many thing, many different things. The number one cause of opposition that I find, and especially for people my age, but in general, uh, for people who resist. The Green New Deal is misinformation. Um, there's a lot of misinformation about the Green New Deal uh, when it first was released by a- by uh, AOC um, uh, when it, first, it was first introduced a few months ago. I think it was a year ago. Um, we saw on on Fox News, and we saw even on other uh, news organizations that the uh, the fear or the misinformation that that, as Ruby mentioned earlier, that airplanes are going to be, are uh, we're not going to have airplanes, that we're, uh, we're not going to be able to eat meat, that uh, hamburgers, I remember seeing in Fox News, like hamburgers are going to be banned, uh, airplanes are going to be banned. So there's a lot of misinformation that, while it seems silly to believe in, it's uh, sometimes good to acknowledge, and people are really like actually serious when they talk about it. So it's, it's good to be like, hey, no, actually, this is not what the Green New Deal is. The Green New Deal is just aiming towards a renewable ener- uh, renewable efficient, efficient energy. It creates more jobs. It provides Medicare for all and all of that. So I have, I don't think, I think 90% of the time that I talk to people my age and I actually explain to them what the Green New Deal is, they're on board with it. Now, going the next step in organizing is always a little bit harder and i think there's a lot of people who are hesitant to organize to uh, to join m- movements to uh, show up to rallies and all of that but i think we're seeing a cultural change even in that itself uh, that our generation is becoming more and more uh, receptive towards going up to going to rallies organizing and uh, being more uh, and being more active uh politically active
1: i wanted to talk about the um the kind of apathy piece. Um, I think a lot of what I encounter, uh, is people who believe climate change is real. They understand the urgency, um, but they don't think that they can do anything about it. Um, they don't think anything's going to change and, uh, they have more pressing concerns. And that's something that's really hard to argue with. Um, you know, a lot of people can't dedicate the time to organize and to be in a leadership position. And so I think part of our job, um, is to find ways to make this work accessible to everyone. Um, you know, working people, parents do not have a lot of time. Um, and so something like advocating for a plan that's 10 years out, you know, even if it's going to do all these great things is, is a really hard sell. And so, um, You know, organizing rallies, having things like Zoom meetings, having calls at different times um, has been a really important way for us to be able to reach people. Um, But I also think in our talking with people and in our sort of pitch for this work, um, bringing it back to real results um, and things that the Green New Deal is pushing for, like affordable housing, like Medicare for all. Um, that's something that people can get behind because they can see how it would improve their life. Um, when we're just talking about, you know, parts per million, that's too abstract for a lot of people. And, you know, again, they have more pressing concerns. And so I think really the demand for our work, um, is to connect it to everyday life um, and to to get people on board in in any way that they can.
0: One question: uh, uh, it, it may be something that may might not be on your radar, but I wanted to see if if it, this is a concern that's come your way, or if, if even if you want to uh, do your best to consider it in in some way. Uh, now is that the Green New Deal kind of raises questions about. Uh, And so those who might oppose it are concerned about the amount of responsibility and power that's going to be given to the federal government. Um, Are there reasons to, at least in your mind, that we should be fine with giving this amount of power to, or I guess relying on the federal government in this way, versus, I guess, going more localized and allowing private groups to... Uh, bring about this, this change, I guess, this sort of bottom up kind of uh, development.
1: I think we're seeing that private industry has uh, largely failed to act on climate specifically, um, but also on, on justice more broadly. Um, And I think when, we leave it up to private industry to act. Um, they don't, or they act in in very superficial ways. Um, and I understand the concern about government oversight and having you know this massive, far-reaching government program. But at the same time, um, I think we need leadership, um, and we need leadership at all levels. But you know, when we're when we're pushing for climate action in Lawrence, there's only so much that our city commission can do. Right. Um, there's only so much that you know Governor Kelly can do, and so a lot of this stuff, like Lawrence, can't institute Medicare for all. Like we can't make that happen at this level, and so we do need that leadership from the top down. But it doesn't mean going into communities and telling them, you know every aspect of how they're going to institute this, but it's putting those broad, that broad structure in place, um, so that we, we can have that movement forward instead of having this kind of patchwork of regulation like we have now. Um, you know, when we talk with the Kansas city hub, they're quite a bit further along. Um, and regulations just for one example around solar in Missouri um, allow them to transition more quickly into renewable energy. And uh, we don't have that in Kansas. And so that's just one kind of patchwork thing of, you know, we have local solar installers, but all of their work is coming out of Missouri. And Kansas isn't reaping that benefit because we're blocked at the state level. And so Having this kind of top down structure in place um, I think would sp- would speed things along and would empower local governments to take advantage of some of this stuff in their own communities
0: and how active have you all been at least uh, this chapter um, at the local level and what sort of uh, what have you accomplished and what sort of things that uh, that still remain to be um, solved or or Uh, accomplished?
1: Well, one of our our big uh, accomplishments, it's not just us, but um, the city just passed um, an ordinance to transition uh, all energy sectors to 100% renewable energy by 2035. Um, That plan initially was proposed uh, with the deadline of 2050. Um, And that that's just too long. I mean, you know, something is better than nothing, but, uh, we were able to attend many, many city commission meetings, um, and, uh, lobby for the commission to push up the deadline. Um, and we worked with other, uh, local environmental groups, um, to do that. And, uh, they pushed up the deadline and passed it. And so, that's, you know, that's a huge thing for the community. That's going to be amazing, but that's only the start. Um, so it's a lot of staying, uh, through hours and hours of city commission meetings, um, and writing to them. Um, but the other thing that we're focusing on this year is, uh, a renter's bill of rights for Lawrence, um, kind of following Kansas city's lead on that, um, but including protections for renters. I mean, over half our town uh, is renters. So uh, combining that with a climate focus specifically with, you know, renewable energy, building materials, insulation, things like that um, to make sure that renters are protected, but that our housing stock is as efficient and, uh, you know, well, well positioned as it can
3: be.
0: So to, to clarify, uh, there's much more, uh, I guess, another maybe misconception about uh, Sunrise Movement would be that it's a single, I guess, policy type of action group. There's, you try to, to take on other uh, issues, especially in, in, uh, as they might have some effect also on, on uh, climate change and environmental justice. Is that, is that fair to say? I think
2: it's really important to recognize that we are a climate justice group. So that's why we both take on the climate and the justice aspect of both. So like um, considering for like, yes, the climate comes first. And yes, we recognize that uh, like we I mean, climate action is, needs to be taken ASAP, but at the same time, Considering, we also focus on the justice and the social justice part of it. And I think that's what's beautiful about this movement itself is that we're not afraid to, we we do not say no just because something does not relate to climate directly because we recognize that almost every single thing in our life right, or, relates to social justice and including climate change itself. So because of that, uh, as Ruby talked about, the rent, a renter's bill of rights, that's something that uh, for a regular person would not, they wouldn't even see the correlation between that and climate change itself. But considering that the, the bill of rights for, the, for those renters gives them is some sort of social justice, it will allow them to be more, uh, it will allow society to prosper more and therefore will be more efficient towards getting a more climate uh, climate action to, uh, to sort of uh, sort of uh, ac- climate action towards climate action. So, uh, really, it's the intersectionalism between uh, social justice and climate action is really important, and I think that's where Sunrise really is prospering. And recognizing that we can be in our local communities be, be still be active about other stuff like. And I go back to Medicare for all for multiple different reasons. But again, if you were to ask a, a, an average person, or if you were to ask someone who's not very politically involved, what Medicare for all or what their health insurance has to do with uh, climate change, they would just they would just be very confused. But Sunrise realizes and uh, recognizes that we everything is intertwined, and everything is. Going everything and every every policy that is being released has to do with the uh, with our future, and our future is heavily uh, is in is in much danger because of climate change. So, therefore, preparing for that is really important, and that's why we take on other initiatives.
0: Okay, as we and into our our discussion here, I want to give you all a an opportunity to I guess discuss. What are some uh, final thoughts that listeners should take into consideration? Uh, thoughts like uh, what they can do as, ind- as individuals um, to either support Sunrise Movement or at least uh, to uh, contribute, contribute in some way to environmental, environmental justice?
2: I think a lot of something that I always tell people is that you really don't need to know much about the science behind it you really don't know, need to know much about the policy behind it you really don't know, need to know much about any of it at all like if you feel like you're you want to make a change this group does a really good job across the country it's not just in Lawrence and Kansas City and Chicago and LA and DC and almost every single city in the in the US right now has a hub from Sunrise Movement. We, uh, and every single one of them, I can tell you, does a great job at accepting people. The, uh, the trainings that we go through, uh, from Sunrise 101 to the training, the arts training, to whatever the training that we do, really focuses on accepting everyone and educating every single person. So I have met people that have no idea why climate change is happening. I have met people that have never in their life um, voted. I have, lots of us. I have met people in our, that have never thought of themselves as political activists. I have met people that are in our movement that have, the only activism that they've, they've done is retweet something on Twitter. All of those, it's a wide spectrum and really the I feel like there is this uh, toxicity behind our culture of if you don't know what you're doing then you shouldn't bother doing it. But I feel like uh, Sunrise really dismantles that and tell and we're really accepting of anyone who knows who's the freaking if you have a PhD in and, uh, and, uh, and uh, CO two emissions, we're uh, we're eager to have you. If you have no idea and you've never even you don't even know what CO two is and you don't know what CO two emissions do. We're so eager to have you. We don't care what your background is. What we care about is what your vision for the future is and what, and how excited you are to do those actions and you're willing to take those actions. If you are willing to do that, then literally like come up and we, we got you. If basically, if we have a lot to do, and if you have something and you want to do something, we can, we can fill up your plate. We can, yeah,
1: we can definitely fill up your plate for sure. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, we we are extremely online right now um, by necessity. Um, we're always on all of our social media. So, if people are interested in getting involved or, or learning more, or you know, have a local issue that um, ties into climate that's really pressing for them, um, you know, we want to hear from you. And uh, I think that, like Malik said, you know, you don't have to be a climate expert to uh, to get involved. And I think the single biggest thing people can do, um, is vote. And, uh, next to that is, is organize. Um, I think talking to your friends and family about climate and about why it's important. Um, I know for my family, when I started getting involved in this, uh, they understood the science, but they didn't, necessarily care or, or they felt like they had other things going on. And, um, now I'm the climate lady and I talk about it all the time and now they're coming to rallies and, you know, my grandparents are sending me articles about the green new deal and you can make that change in your social circle really quickly. And, you know, you're really more influential than you think. Um, so just starting those conversations is, is super important.
3: I would say, if you're interested even a little bit just contact us and i think of course voting is a really important thing to do and if you're someone who can't vote um like ruby said just talk to people and learn more yourself and educate other people and who knows you could find yourself with a whole new group of friends who are all really into it and yeah you could help a lot of other people get interested too
2: I just want to point out one last thing that we uh, at sunrise before this whole coronavirus thing was happening about a month ago, we started this initiative to talk to high school students more and uh, give presentations. And we managed to get in two presentations total um, to the uh, free state high school. Um, And it was a really, it was a really interesting, it was a really interesting uh, experience because we got we had these people uh, we presented to a cl- two classes each one was average about 20 people or so uh one of the classes only one person knew what climate change was and what was happening and the second one was i i, I think two people did so like on the rest they knew what it was as a concept that yeah the, the earth is warming up but it stopped there. It wasn't. It wasn't much. So, as Rubit said, really, it's important to bring up those conversations and to talk to you, to your circle, to your inner circle, to expand their knowledge, to be like, and to have those uncomfortable uh, conversations sometimes. And the conversations that make your uh, uh, the make your uh, dad or your uncle uh, on, on family dinners go, okay, well, that's enough politics for tonight, or something like that. Um, it's really important to have those uncomfortable situations and uncomfortable conversations because that's how real change comes to be. Real change, uh, real change in how people think is by having the by challenging those narratives and not just dismissing them.
0: With that being said, thank you all for having this conversation with me, and for discussing the work that you that you've done and that the, the sort of future that you um, the future endeavors that you have you have in mind. So thank you all for coming on. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: And thank you to our listeners for joining us and uh, look look forward to uh, for future episodes. And thank you for listening.